combined efforts to, pro- to uh, produce what we would call, and what many people call, the greatest work of literature ever. Now, of course, as far as Christians are concerned, the Bible is more than just good literature. It's a book with the power to change people's lives for the better and forever. But for that to take place, it has to not only be read, it has to be lived. And that's an important thing for you to remember, because I know a lot of people who have read the Bible, but whose lives are totally inconsistent with what they've read. And the best advice that I could give you on this, the very first day of 2012, the best advice I could give you to change your life is to start reading your Bible, and if you've already done that, to continue reading your Bible regularly, and then learning to live it out. It will benefit you in many ways. In fact, I want to go back just to Psalm 19, almost right in the middle of our Bible, and it talks about four ways that being in the Word will benefit you, that will help you change your life. Now, here's the very first one. The Bible is a source of spiritual renewal. In other words, it changes your heart. Back in verse 7, it said, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now, if you read much of the Old Testament, you know that at one point, when the children of Israel were hauled out into captivity, the walls around Jerusalem were completely destroyed. It brought shame to the city, also made them very open to attack from all of their enemies. But there was a Babylonian slave by the name of Nehemiah. He came back, gathered the people together into work details, and they completely rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in record time. But when they got the walls finished, they realized something else. Not only had the walls fallen into disrepair, so had their lives. They had completely forgotten the God of their ancestors. And so what happened was that people from all over the nation gathered in Jerusalem. And the prophet Ezra took the Old Testament scriptures, the the scriptures that they had to that point, and he spent the entire day reading them as the people stood in front of him. And when the people heard the word of God read to them, it says that they wept and their hearts turned to God. And they committed themselves to live according to his law. I'm going to tell you, this happens when the Bible is read. The Bible is a source of spiritual renewal. Now, a lot of people kind of assume that because I'm a pastor and that I've been in the ministry for 45 plus years now, that, you know, I always believed everything and had everything correct somehow. You know, raised in a Lutheran family, Lutheran grade school, Lutheran high school, Lutheran college etc., etc. But I'm going to tell you, that's not necessarily true. In fact, when I was younger, when I was in high school, I would tell you that I wasn't really clear on what it meant to be a Christian. I was one of those people who kind of assumed that you try to live a good life, and when you die, God kind of weighs your good deeds against your bad deeds, and if you've got enough good deeds, it's going to tip the scales, and you'll end up in heaven forever. Now, I've found a lot of people believe that even yet today. It's amazing to me how many people have parked their posterior in a pew for years, have learned under the sainted pastor so-and-so, still who believe that somehow their good works are going to get them into heaven. See, I kind of thought like, 
Christianity was like a, a checkbook. You debit the account with bad behavior, you better deposit a little good behavior, you know, before the checks get cashed. It's kind of like that old saying, you know, you sow your wild oats and then go to church on Sunday and pray for crop failure. And that's kind of the life that I was living. But one evening, uh, I was reading out of the book of Romans. And he probably said, what's a high school kid doing reading out of the book of Romans? Well, it was part of an assignment for a high school doctrine class. That's why I was reading it. And as I read, I read some words from Paul that kind of altered my way of thinking. In Romans 3, he said, but now God has shown us a different way to heaven. Not by being good enough and trying to keep his laws, but by a new way, though not new, really, for the scriptures told about it long ago. Now, God says he'll accept and acquit us, declare us not guilty, if we trust Jesus to take away our sins, and we all can be saved in this same way by coming to Christ, no matter who we are or what we have been like. Now, when I read that, and I kind of remember reading it again a couple of times, and it was almost like scales falling off of my eyes. And suddenly I realized that my place in heaven someday had nothing to do with me. That it really was a gift of God. And I didn't really tie it together with Ephesians 2, 8, 9 at that time, even though, like many of you, I'd been through confirmation and been forced to memorize that small catechism and all the Bible passages, but there were a bunch of incoherent scriptures that didn't really kind of fit all completely together. And kind of as a 15-year-old, as much as I could understand grace, I, I kind of understood it. But I look back and I say, what made a difference in my life wasn't a sermon, it wasn't a song, uh, it, it wasn't a play, it wasn't a movie, it wasn't some track that somebody handed me on a street corner. It was the Bible. It was the Bible that showed me how to be saved. And it suddenly started to click with me because isn't that exactly what happened with Martin Luther? It wasn't until Luther began reading Romans that it finally clicked for him. And here, too, was a guy who was highly educated, who was serving already as a priest in the Catholic Church at that time. That's why I say, friends, the Bible is a source of spiritual renewal. It can change your heart. It changes your life. Here's the second thing. The Bible is a source of practical wisdom. Verse 7, it said, The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Now, I want you to know, and you probably already know this, that there's a big difference between intelligence and wisdom. Uh, my grandfather, I'm not even sure he had an eighth grade education. But he was one of the wisest people I ever knew. I mean, how else can you explain a guy stand outside and going, it's going to rain. And the sky is clear. And you go, what? He goes, it's going to rain. I said, but Grandpa, there's not a cloud in the sky. It'll rain, oh, 5.30. 5.30, boys coming down in buckets. Now, how did he know that? Well, it's wisdom. See, wisdom is like common sense. It's something you get apart from having your head buried in a book. I think it was Herbert Hoover who said, wisdom is knowing what to do next. See, a wise person looks through the haze of the problem and sees the solution on the other side. It's kind of like that guy with the shipbuilding book. He knew everybody was going to say, take a Bible. I want to learn how to build a boat to get off this island. Now, think about it. In your life, if your life is anything like mine, there are times when the choice between right and wrong 
doesn't always seem really clear. There are times when the choice between good and best are not really clear. And that's the point at which you need wisdom. And where are you going to get wisdom? Well, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You get it here from the wisdom book. I mean, for example, if you are single, the Bible offers a great deal of wisdom about the kind of person you should marry. Uh, If you're self-employed, the Bible tells you an awful lot about the kind of person you should do business with and the kind of person you ought to avoid like the plague. I mean, the, (coughs) the Bible instructs parents how to relate to their children. It tells children how to relate to their parents. It shows friends how to treat each other as friends. I mean, the Bible is loaded with wisdom on the subjects of parenting and finances and friendships and health and business and sex and marriage and spirituality and success and on and on and on. It covers every area of life. That's why David said in verse 7, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. So the Bible is full of practical wisdom. It helps you know what to do next. Here's the third thing. The Bible is a source of confident living. Verses not, verse 9. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. Now, I've been a Christian most of my life. I have always been very confident of what's going to happen to me when I die. I have no doubts as to where I will be when that time comes. That's partly because overall, the Christian life is a life of certainty. The uncertainties that many accept as a fact of life, believers simply don't have to worry about. A few years ago, when I was teaching a, an adult Bible study in the evening, one of the questions I asked was this. If you could ask God anything in the world, what would it be? I mean, think about that for a moment. If you could ask God anything in the world, what would it be? I was somewhat surprised, although not really, by the responses I got, because the responses were pretty much similar. They said we would ask, am I on the right track? Are you satisfied with me? Am I going to heaven? Those kinds of questions. Those are good questions to ask. In fact, I'd suggest that a lot of people ought to learn to ask those questions. But the good news is that we really don't need to wonder where we stand with God. We can be absolutely, positively, 100% sure that if we have a faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our future is settled. No questions. No arguments. End of statement. End of paragraph. Period. That's it. John wrote these words, 1 John 5.13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, I have talked before at different places and I've, I've said, I'm absolutely, positively sure that when I die, I will go to heaven. No questions asked whatsoever. And I've actually had people say, how can you be so sure? How can you be so positive? How can you be so definitive? I've been asked that by pastors, believe it or not. 
And I, I, I kind of look at them and I smile and I said, haven't you read your Bible? I mean, for heaven's sake, read your Bible. You want to be sure? I mean, the Bible is loaded with promises of assurance. Romans 10.13 All who call upon the name of the Lord, what? Will be saved. Romans 10.9 If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. 1 John 1 verse 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Hebrews 10.10, we've been made holy through his sacrifice of the body of Christ once for all. You know, I look upon the Bible sometimes as like a gathering of blank checks. The terrible thing is a lot of people kind of close it up and never bother to cash in any of them. Maybe you got relatives like this. We have a few relatives that we decided not to send checks to anymore because they never cash them. I don't know. Maybe they're rolling in cash. Maybe they're just, I was going to say dumb. I guess that would be the right word. Forgetful or misplaced things. But I don't know about you, but uh, I, sometimes it takes me a couple of days to get my paycheck home. But you know, sooner or later I get it there. And we always get it to the bank, and we always cash the check. But the Bible has, what do they say, something like 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 promises, blank checks, that a lot of people just plain simple don't cash, don't look at, don't check out. And as a result, they're always wondering. They're always wondering. Well, cash them in. We can be confident about our relationship in God. We can be confident about the future. The Bible paints a picture of the future that is ultimately good. And I say that even though it may appear sometimes that the world is going downhill, that the world is getting worse with every passing minute. And yes, the Bible says there are going to be some political uprisings, there are going to be some economic instability through the world during the end of time. But when you read the rest of the story in the Bible, you see how it boldly asserts that in the end, Jesus will establish justice for all, he will wipe away every tear, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, I've talked to some people recently who believe the future is the worst thing that could possibly happen. I mean, they're not looking forward to the future at all. Now, they don't mean end times. They're not worried about judgment day. They mean typical day-to-day living. I mean, they approach every... Uh, aspect of their life with kind of exaggerated caution. Like, what if this job doesn't work out? What if this relationship doesn't work? What if my kids rebel against the church? Uh, what if the economy goes further south? And, and I just reminded one person, you know, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to live that way at all. We can face tomorrow with absolute confidence because we have God's assurance of what? That He's in control of every last aspect of our lives. He's working it all out for our good. We can face life with optimism and joy. Do you have any idea what's going to happen in the next two weeks? Neither do I. Oh, I've got a few thoughts. I've got a few plans. But who knows? 
Where are you going to be in six months? You probably say, oh, just sitting here like usual. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe you'll just decide, lived here long enough, moving north. <laughs> Some of you are going, that'll never happen. <laughs> yeah. Watch out. <laughs> Watch out when you say, it'll never, ever happen to you. Verse 8 of Psalm 9, it said, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to your heart. I mean, you know, you can be happy with whatever comes. I mean, from experience, friends, I'm just going to tell you, just from my personal experience, when you read the Bible, you're going to find yourself overcome with a sense of optimism. It's a persistent optimism. When you fill your mind each day uh, with scriptures, you're reminded that God loves you, that God is in control, that God takes care of you, that God protects you, that God is going to bring his kingdom down here on earth, and you won't be able to suppress your joy. This morning, when I was looking at January 1, every Sunday they start with a watchword. And the watchword for today, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. I don't know about you, but that makes me pretty happy. I'm adopted as God's child. And then it talked about Simeon. He said, Lord, you can dismiss your servant now because my eyes have seen salvation. He said, I'm ready to go. I'm happy as a clam. I've seen the good things in life. That's what Scripture does for us. Now, some of you might be thinking, though, you know, wait a minute here. I know all kinds of people who read their Bible all day long, and they are anything but optimistic and joyful. I mean, what about those people who are always in their Bible and all they ever do is preach doom and gloom? Now, that's a fair question. Now, understand that the Bible is the Word of God. It is the inspired Word of God. It is the inerrant Word of God. It is the infallible Word of God. It is God's complete message for humanity. But the whole Bible is to be our guide not just a few selected verses. And there are a lot of people who like to do that kind of dip-and-grab method and only find Bible passages that suit their needs or suit their personality or suit, you know, whatever, so they can kind of slam somebody else with the Word of God. I mean, anybody can pull Bible passages out of the Bible to support some crazy notion. I mean, those of you who have been in one of my classes already know, I mean, I have a whole list of Bible passages out of context. I mean, for example, did you know that tennis is mentioned in the Bible? It says Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. Uh, you know, you can prove uh, smoking, because it said Jacob lit off his camel. Now, all those things are really stupid. But you can take a passage out of context and make it mean just about anything. In fact, over the years, people have taken little bits of God's Word to support Slavery, they've used it to support racism, classism, socialism, oppression, and war. I mean, some have even said, for example, when Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always, means that we shouldn't work to end poverty. So I'm just saying, yes, an isolated verse here or there can be made to fit any stupid idea you want to come up with. 
But when you examine the sum of Scripture, those crazy notions that people throw out begin to fall apart. Let me give you a classic example. A lot of people twist Paul's statement where it says, women should be silent in the church. You ever heard that one? That's exactly what Paul says. Women should be silent in the church. And a lot of people have taken that passage, kind of just reached in Scripture, jerked it out, said, look, here it is. Women, you belong in the basement, having babies, taking care of babies, getting the potluck ready. Women ought to be silent. You ought to be subservient because you are less important than men. Some churches base their entire governmental structure on this single statement. But when you look at all of Scripture, when you look at that passage in its context, when you look at what Paul wrote about women, when you look about what the Bible says about women, Paul gives instructions to women about how to pray, how to prophesy in the midst of a church service, for heaven's sakes. In Romans, Paul mentions a deaconess by the name of Phoebe. Don't know many men by the name of Phoebe. He calls Junia, a woman, an apostle of note. <laughs> now, I've heard some pastors go, particularly Lutherans, you know, because you can't have women elders. They said, oh no, Paul meant it was a woman who was noted by the elders. They spotted her. Uh, give me a break. Proverbs 31, a great description of a godly woman. And guess what? She is anything but subservient. I mean, the Bible elevates the role and status of women in society. It places men and women on equal ground. I mean, we're all on the same level at the foot of the cross. See, the purpose of Scripture is not to give us ammunition for arguing. Its purpose is to transform people's lives. And this happens only when we approach God's Word with a teachable attitude of prayerful humility. One last thing here. The Bible would change your life when you allow it to be a source of daily guidance. David talks about the laws, the statutes, the precepts, and the commands and the ordinances in verse 11. He says, By them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. See, again and again, the Bible tells us the risks and the rewards of our behavior. Proverbs 15:22, for example, says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. This just means very simply, friends, if you've got a, a major decision and you're trying to make it without seeking godly advice, you may end up failing. I mean, that's the risk of making decisions without getting any input from people. On the other hand, if you do get advice before making a decision, the Bible says your plans are more likely to succeed. And all I'm suggesting is, as you begin this new year, as you read Scripture day by day, you're amazed at how often you receive plain and unmistakably clear direction for the problems and the opportunities that you face. And I'm telling you, it's not magic. I mean, the, the, this book is not a magic book. Uh, you know, it's a miraculous book. Uh, God speaks to you through the Bible. I can't tell you how many times I have been wondering about something and I open up my Bible, for example, to do my next day's Bible readings or whatever, and lo and behold, there was my answer. Just that quick. I mean, the Bible has the power to change 
your life. It helps you establish and maintain a lifelong, life-changing connection with Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, how would you start? Well, I'm going to tell you, you start with a small bite. I mean, the best way to start is just to start. It means to take your Bible, get it off the shelf, dust it off, crack it open, get rid of all of the flowers you pressed in there and all the note cards and everything you've stored in there for years, the recipes and all that stuff. Shake it out of there. Take your Bible and start reading your Bible every day. Now, the best place, I think, to start, in different ways, start in the New Testament. Start with Matthew or John. Or, I'm going to suggest another one, start with the book of James. And by the way, women's Bible study this week starts with a study on the book of James. It's a great way to dip your feet into it. You know, grab your Bible, read a few verses, read two, three, four, five verses, read 10, 11, 12, 13 verses. There are some days when I open up my Bible and it tells me here, for example, uh, tomorrow, I'm getting excited about January 2nd already, because January 1st was just some verses to get us going, but tomorrow I start reading the Psalms, Genesis, and Matthew. Now, it tells me tomorrow to read Matthew 1, 1 to 17. Well, I know on the next page it says Matthew 1, 18 to 25, but there are some times when I start reading, I just can't stop. Do you ever have a book like that? You just can't put it down. You just get into it. And then suddenly you've done four or five days of it. And it's like, oh my gosh, I read way too far. Well, that's okay. I can read it again. You know, pause and think about it every once in a while. Read that passage and, and ask God to speak to you. Let Him search your heart. I mean, is the passage challenging you to do something that you've been putting off? Is it uh, reminding you of a promise that you need to keep? Or is it reminding you of a promise that you need to claim? Or is, does it remind you, this is one that scares you sometimes, does it remind you of a sin that you need to confess? Is it giving you an example that you need to follow? See, as you meditate and direct your thoughts to God, God will speak to you. And you will experience the benefits of reading the Bible. You will grow spiritually. You will develop wisdom. You will experience joy. And you will receive daily guidance. The end result is that the Word does the work that God intends it to do. It changes you forever and for the better. May God bless us in our journey this year as we read His Word. Amen.